The funny thing is with mental health is that it can manifest itself in so many different ways and it can cause so many different reactions in so many different ways depending on their personalities. Hello and welcome to the Straight Talking Doctor podcast. My name is Dr. Mark Cox and this is the podcast dedicated to improving your health and happiness. My aim is to demystify the complex world of wellness and mental health through eye-opening conversations with guests from any and every walk of life. No topic is out of bounds, no question too big or too small. As well as discussing my guests' inspiring stories, I want my conversations to fuel you all with useful and actionable tips that you can adopt into your daily lives. In this first series, we shall be taking a journey into mental health, tackling topics such as dealing with trauma and depression, overcoming addiction, and beating cancer not once, but twice. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Please sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy the ride. Now, where to start with this one? Today's episode is with a very special guest, Matt Swaby. Matt and I became friends at university, and I think I can honestly say that at that time in our lives, we probably never thought we'd have a conversation quite like this one. In this conversation, Matt opens up about his mental health and how he had hidden the issues he was having for so many years. The eloquent way he talks about such a potentially sensitive subject is something that I know that many of you will really resonate with. We discuss how Matt managed to make changes and seek support, how mental health is well and truly a spectrum, the stigma that still surrounds it, how university is a potential minefield for mental health, and the damaging effect alcohol can have on our minds. We also discuss lots of useful tips and tricks we can all use to reach out to our friends, approach difficult conversations, and help people open up. This was the very first podcast I recorded and holds a special place in my heart. Thank you, Matt, for joining me, and I hope you all enjoy. I've had multiple conversations about your podcast with uh, sort of our extended members of, you know, friends and, and members of our social circle. And I think you're completely right. One of the things I'm going to come on to is how shocked I was listening to it, but also just inspired by how eloquently you were able to speak about your experiences. And I think, you know, that's been echoed by the conversations I've had with other people. So it's the bravery to come out and say it, first of all, and how much that will potentially help other people. So I thought it's about maybe a year on or so, is it, Yeah, the podcast? Yeah, it's basically about a year on, I'd say. I thought it would be really interesting today to maybe talk a bit about, you know, your experiences again, similar co- concept to what was on your first podcast, but then maybe about some of the bits that have changed as well. Mm-hmm. So why why did you why did you go into the podcast then originally? So it was kind of again slightly serendipitous in, in the fact that so the guy who's hosting the podcast, one of my best friends from uni, Alexi, who I lived with in my second and third year, uh, I had been going to therapy for about three or four months by this by this time, every single week, every Monday. And I was starting to tell some of the people that were, were close to me. And obviously, Alexi was one of the people that I wanted to speak to. So I, you know, I was like, you know, this is what's been going on in my life. I've sort of been keeping this sort of darker side of me that I've sort of mainly reserved for myself for a long time, uh, away from everyone. And I'm now trying to be a bit more open about it. And so I'm telling some people that uh, I've been going to therapy and just thought I'd let you know um, because you're a close friend of mine. And he was like, that's firstly, thank you very much for telling me you know, similar reaction of being very shocked and then also, you know, very happy that he's, you know, he, yeah. I've told him. But then he's also doing his own, he was like, funny enough, I'm sort of planning, me and my brother are planning to do our own podcast on mental health. Would you like to come on? <laughs> and I was just like, 
yeah, I mean, I, I would love to, but I mean, personally, right now, I don't think I'm, I'm ready. I'm still, you know, fairly early on into therapy. Yeah, what I was, hadn't discovered What it. was the gap between them asking you and you, you know, getting ready to be able to actually go on that podcast and talk about your experience? Probably another, probably an- another four or five months, potentially okay. even longer. Um, sure. Just because I knew I wasn't ready. I couldn't even begin to really articulate what I had experienced, what I was going through. And in order to go on a podcast, you, you have to have that sort of, level of experience of talking about your yeah. emotions and your feelings for long enough and by the time I went to on the podcast with Alexi I'd been seeing a therapist speaking about this stuff every every week for a year yeah. so like it was it's yeah. not sort of by chance that you end up being more comfortable speaking about these or being you know, better prepared to speak about you know mental health from going because you know when I when I look back at it in my I've been to three different schools over, you know, 20 years of education, two different universities. And up until I started going, I guess mental health had not really been mentioned to me as a word full stop. Yeah, yeah. So it sort of leaves me entirely unsurprised that the majority of people, when asked the very simple question, how are you? Even if they want to speak about it, which obviously lots of people don't, they actually don't have the tools or the language in order to articulate what they're feeling. 100%. So I think it's, it creates a massive barrier in order for people who even they once they make the you know the decision to want to seek help they don't even know what where to start they don't know what to say they don't know who to go to so there's just so many barriers to entry or even once you even get there which is a difficult place to even get to yeah i mean that's such an interesting concept about until you're in that position dealing with your own mental health you don't even it's difficult to even understand and realize that those barriers to entry yeah. like you say i think it's a great <laughs> yeah. way to describe it are there mm-hmm. things that stop you that you think should be easy it should be easy to do this but they're not and it's difficult yeah so let's go back a little bit Mm -hmm. what was university like for you what was going on now you've had the experience can you reflect on that for us and what in terms of in specifically your mental health yeah so i I guess the mental because you kind of a product of your own environment and and your own experiences so i guess the mental health journey really started from day dot but University, when I, when I talk about university, I don't want people to think that I had an entirely bad time or I've got no, no happy memories. You know, I've got made lots of lifelong friends, had so many good times at university um, while I was there. But at the same time, I was struggling a lot uh, and very much keeping it to, to myself. Um, and I think because I've always been an inherently anxious person, I've been, you know, inherently an overthinker. Mm. Uh, I've had a lot of insecurities around rejection and exclusion um, from sort of a young age. And that sort of can easily manifest itself in that sort of university environment, I think. And so I think my anxiety levels sort of, they started, you know, at a poor level in first year and then, you know, got worse as I went into my second year. Because the thing was mental health, people sort of think it's like a box that you tick or it's black and white. It's not, it's a spectrum that every single person is on and it's constantly moving. It's not like it's some sort of static linear being. It's, it's something that's constantly changing. It's constantly, that is so dynamic. And so I think there's something that as a concept that people really struggle with, that everybody is, is on it at some point. So throughout university, my mental health had good days, had bad days, had good weeks, bad years, you know, had good years and bad years. My second year was, you know, worse than my first year. My third year was better. My master's was bad. And then my first year in the job is when it, you know, got the worst ever. So, I mean, it constantly mm. chops and changes. Sure. And you're saying that there's different sort of times that you go up and down on this spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think the spectrum sort of analogy is, is really important and, and 
quite descriptive of what it's actually like. Mm-hmm. Everyone falls at there. Sometimes yeah. the spectrum is is really thin and you feel like you can just fall off at any point. Yeah. And sometimes you feel like you've got loads of support there. And I think yeah. I think having those sort of analogies you can refer back to really helps and makes people understand mental health a little bit better. You said you the year of work was was tough and probably where things got worse. What was the turning point? You know, what what happened that made you, you know, seek help? I think I think I I've kind of had a, like a couple turning points because I first sort of noticed that my mental health wasn't good in probably my second year when I felt that my, my sort of social anxiety was getting worse. Uh, I sort of was probably drinking to excess more and more. And then I had my first panic attack sort of half, I think halfway through my, my second year of university, and which was like a, a really, really scary experience because I've never had one before. I've never had someone describe it to sure. me before. And so, like, when my heart, you know, you, you feel like you're having a heart attack, you literally feel like you're going you to die. You think you're going to die. Yeah, you're, you is... know, you start feeling dizzy, you start feeling sick. Like, you feel like the world is, like, crushing in around yeah. you. Like, it literally is a flat zero out of ten experience. <laughs> Would not recommend. Like, it's so... Don't try this at home <laughs> if you can not. avoid it. Please don't. It's honestly... So, like, when, I, that, when that happened, I was like, that's, I, that was, like, a big sticking point. I was like, that's not normal. That was, like, a very visceral physical reaction to make that point that something is not right and so then I was like okay something's not right I spoke to one of my housemates you know but nobody else I still very much kept it under wraps that this even happened and I booked to go to a therapist at university again it wasn't made clear that that there's 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 counsel or anything university but they all have them but like, I was not really at all aware of them at the start yeah when it, during fresh week it's not like by the way if I don't think I knew yeah, yeah. I would, the only reason I knew is because I had to go act proactively ask. And so I booked to go and then never went. Yeah, and which I think is a case in lots of people as huge well. Huge amount, yeah. You know, I think that's that building up the confidence to go and do something about it is not the same as necessarily following through with that, and particularly if you're in that, that headspace yeah. at the time. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely it's a confidence thing. I mean, it's a combination of denial, uh, sort of fear and embarrassment. So like denial of how bad the issues are. Yeah fear of sort of showing that level of vulnerability and emotion mm. and particularly I think for males is is a scary concept and you know scared of how I mean I was so scared of other people finding out that I was going and thinking that you're going to judge me and think I'm a you know less of a man less of a less of a person yeah, yeah, because yeah. of it so and that's, that's, the, lots that's, of these that's reasons, the stigma yeah. isn't it around mental lots health which is still there still there we're trying to break down and I think by talking about it or you're obviously taking steps but it doesn't necessarily fix it for that person that is having that mental no. health issue. No, not at the time. Just because someone says we're breaking down the stigma doesn't mean yeah. that you're not going to feel embarrassed or scared yeah. of what The stigma is broken feel. down when you don't feel embarrassed and it's become second nature. That's when it, that's when the stigma is yeah. no longer there. Which takes a lot of time, yeah, effort, time. confidence, bravery, courage. Yeah. So yeah, second year, I guess that's when I, but then never went about it. And then I sort of like didn't have a panic attack for a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, I'm fixed, which is obviously like, a silly thing to think about because you don't think about that with your physical health. You don't no, think like no. when you feel ill, you don't, you don't, you don't magically get better. I didn't make any changes to my lifestyle or my life at all when I just assumed I was going to be better just yeah. because I didn't have a panic attack in the last two weeks. Silly way to think because obviously they happened again and it, di- and it didn't become any better. It made life easier for you to yeah. think like that though, didn't denial. it? It made, yeah. you didn't have to come out and face denial. it. Denial. It was just a classic case of denial. So never did anything about it. And then I guess, you know, got better and then things got a bit better in third year, but then, you know, masters, first year work got worse and worse and worse. And then I kind of was like ended up in some weird, like abusive relationship with myself where I was just, you know, pretty horrible to myself, you know, mentally. And, you know, occasionally I was never self-harmed in the sense of trying to commit suicide, but like I'd be punching walls. I'd be like hitting myself yeah. when I was getting frustrated. I'd be like, you're such a fucking loser. No one likes you. 
I, I like it got to the stage where I was like saying I hate myself sure. and it got to you know I remember you know alcohol always fueled it and so never made it any better yeah. and I remember I sort of woke up one you know after one sort of, sort of blow nice house and I looked at my and my room was trashed which occasionally happened when I got back in a rage of sort of self-energy I used to sort of like trash my room and then have to wake up early and then had to tidy it before anyone else even came into my room because I didn't want people to know that I did it. Yeah. Um, but I, so I messaged my friend being like, I'm so sorry, I'm a shit person, I hate myself. And I remember looking down at my phone and seeing... Cause this is when things, you were on a night out? This is on a night out, yeah. yeah. And I remember looking, because these things I've sort of, I've reserved for myself and never said to one, but then seeing it written down, the words, I hate myself, it was like, a, again, it was one of those like, scary, horrible moments. I was like, holy shit, that's again, not normal. And I guess by this stage... Because I became so, I'd become very good at, at hiding my emotions, putting on a brave face, and that was very much second nature. But I think after a while, like, it was getting too much, and I started to break at the seam. I think, you know, people again were starting to notice that something wasn't up. And it took two of my friends in the space of literally about a week to call me out on it, basically. And Did they one, do that individually? Individually, didn't know each other. Oh, one wow. was at university, one was from home. Um, and one was, they both happened in slightly different instances. So one, I was... I was at like a Christmas drinks and I said, I made like an offhand comment about being anxious about something. And then sure. the guy, um, and obviously not going to mention any names about the podcast, you know, GDPR will be kept. <laughs> um, no, and he sort of pulled me aside and was like, look, you mentioned this. I picked up in it. Are you okay? What's up? And it kind of caught me off guard. I was a bit blindsided by it. But because of that, I was just like, you know what? I'm not. I, was, I think by that stage, I was. I kind of wanted people to call me out on it because I knew yeah. that I needed help. You were kind I of ready, but didn't for know. It. Yeah, and so he could have asked me if I was okay, and it was like, you know, let's talk about this, buddy, blah, blah, blah. And then in similar incidents where, um, I would, I was out, and the friend, you know, looks me in the eyes like, "Are you okay? What's up?" And it was, it wasn't the "Are you okay? You aren't know what's going on." It was that something's up. I think I'm pretty sure something's up. Are you okay? And again, yeah. it. It's direct rather than just a habitual question. Yeah, straight straight to the bullshit. And I was like, you know what? I'm not, and I think I need help. Well, good on them. And I I think we'll come to in a little bit to talk about how we do approach people and maybe some of your experience on that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, because I think what, again, just on that point, the thing that they both did, which is so important, is that they both followed up and messaged me the next day and said, let's acknowledge that conversation. That happened. And let's reinforce the fact that I am actually here for you and we can talk about it and I'm going to help. Because that's something which, again, I've been guilty of in the past. Yeah. Where, you know, I think we've all sort of had those, you know, those drunk 3am conversations in the smoking air where somebody gets emotional and says something that they're not okay or like they've got stuff about something. And then next day you kind of both pretend it doesn't happen and you both yeah. sort of speed on the carpet and it's not... And nothing is sort, nothing is sure. solved. That person's still suffering. That repetition is really important. It's actually something I. One of the early videos I did on my page was the two OK rule, which yes. is something Roman Kemp talks about on his documentary. I just thought such a simple, easy trick you can put into your life that shows that you you're not just asking, "Are you OK?" as a greeting. It's mm-hmm. not just like something that you throw off off the cuff to to your friend when you meet them. It's uh, no, are you really okay? And yeah. you know, giving them that space to open up and, and have an opportunity to talk about it. Sometimes you just need that second poke. And, I, and I've got an example of that, like in my life recently, because I've been trying to become better. Because obviously since the podcast, lots of people have, you know, speak to me about their issues, which is fantastic. And obviously encourage people to still do so. But I mean, an incident happened in a night out, which sort of made me worried about the state of my friend's mental health. And I sort of won't, obviously won't say any more than that, but I woke up uh, next day, spoke to the guy in question I was like 
do you remember last night? And he was like, no, I don't. And in my head, I was like, I think he probably does. I think he's potentially a bit embarrassed yeah. or like a bit Defense ashamed about it. And I waited five minutes and I was like, you know what? Do you actually remember it? Pushed him again. And he was like, yeah, I actually do. But like, it was so simple. All I had to do was push him that one extra time. Really? And then, then he ended up I was like, okay, cool. I'm glad we acknowledged it both happened. This isn't the time, the space, but let's put time in our diaries and we will speak about this sober. And all, and it could have been so easy. And again, this is no blame because I have hunted and done this in my past. And I, you know, still not good enough as a person right now. We're all working versions of ourselves. But just give that extra little nudge if you think something's up. And that's, that's just a fantastic, I think just a fantastic tip and being able to back it up with real life experience. Mm-hmm. You learn so much more when actually you, you have that experience behind it. You're right about my reaction when I heard your podcast. I was, mm-hmm. I was shocked. And that's partly because of, well, mainly because of our relationship at uni was, was very fun. You know, you were life and soul when we were out for a drink. We had a lot of banter. Some would say it was a little bit laddie. Yeah. And <laughs> um, yeah, but we had a lot of fun. And you never, you never realise when someone's like that, that there's potentially, you know, more beneath the surface that isn't going right. And yeah. maybe sometimes people are more like that because they're counteracting that. Yeah, and potentially, sure. I don't know if you found that yourself, but um, mm-hmm. do you think that that culture of university makes it harder for people to come and talk about their mental health and their issues if they're going through something and you know did that for you yeah i mean university is 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 a sort of a place where it's unsurprising that i think people struggle because it's it's such a frenzy there's so much going on and again like university is great definitely go had so had lots of great times there but it is, there's so many pressures, there's so many incidences which can cause for, you know, anxiety. You know, you know you've got the, the academic pressures of, you know, of getting through. I mean, personally, people who know me know that, you know, my degree was, I wasn't exactly pushed. I didn't exactly work hard. So that wasn't <laughs> stress for me. But I know for other oh, people, yeah. that was definitely, at least for you, trying to balance out work. It could be work pretty stressful and times, yeah. just, That is stressful, was you're trying to get a property degree, not geography. <laughs> um, but in top, and then trying to get, you know, trying to get a job. And trying to get internships, obviously, by the time you leave university, you're meant to have five years worth of work experience these days. And so, you're constantly trying to pick a career path, get all all of that, you know, those pressures. Which you know, I was you know trying to get jobs and graduate jobs and internships. You know, you got those pressures. Balance that with you know the social pressures of you know there's so many different cliques at university. You have to sort of you know pressures to wear the right thing, you know, say the right thing, act in a certain way. All of which you feel like you can get judged on any single one of those. So there's mm. you know, so many rooms to get you anxious. <clears throat> You know who you're going to live with, who you're going to be, who we're going to invite to. You know the pre's, the birthday, the dinner party. There's so much, you know, room for feeling excluded or, you know, uh, rejected from stuff. Yeah. And then all of this is sort of happening in in a in a town and a, a city which is you know far away from home, far away from where you feel comfortable and safe potentially. Could be your easily your first time away from home. Yeah. So it's already in a bit of an alien environment. It's a mixing pot, isn't it? It's oh, an absolute mixing pot. All people. And then on top of that, you've got you've got the sex, you've got the drugs, you've got the alcohol, all of which tends to not help these things, and which can easily put pressures on all relationships, both you know romantic and friendships. And, uh, and then on the background of that, you, in the day, we're only, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, we're, all our physical, you know, our body and our brains are still developing. Yeah, you know, still at the, obviously at the time, we think we're the top dog. We, we think we're so old and so wise. But let's, when we look back at the time of university, how young are we there and how immature, how little life experience do we have in order to cope with all these stresses that's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at it like that, I and mean, when I've had time to reflect on it, it's not remotely surprising at all, especially if you've come from an upbringing of, like we said, we both said, 
didn't hear the word mental health. So if you're struggling from it, you wouldn't know that you were struggling because you didn't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such a good description of the potential pitfalls <laughs> of university <laughs> and mental health. And there certainly is. I mean, it's just a complete cauldron of potential yeah. things that, that can go wrong and, and can really push you, push you to perhaps not being in the best mindset. Mm-hmm. We also touched on before about what people did to you to help you talk about what had happened and what had, what had been going on in your brain yeah. and how you'd been feeling. Um, and so what would be your advice? Is there things that we can do better to help people perhaps open up? Um, uh, yeah, I think the, the main thing, it, and this can be at a university, it can be in a workplace, it can be just in a friendship group. I mean, the, the same principles kind of apply everywhere, I think. It is just trying to create an environment uh, in which people feel comfortable and not judged and open to having that discussion because having the discussion and being open is the most critical the most fundamental thing that personally benefited me and I think benefited lots of other people in in opening up because if you don't feel safe if you feel like you're going to be judged in any way then you're probably not going to do it you're going to you know going to keep everything behind closed doors so just trying to you know make sure reassure people that you're willing there you're there and you're open you're supportive to the idea that they could be struggling and this, I mean, Charlotte, you know, this can be with anyone, but obviously particularly with your closest friends, because as you said, you know, it's so hard to know sometimes if something is going on. Um, so just trying to be, as I said, try to be as open um, uh, and try to create an environment which people are comfortable mm. to speak about is yeah. just essential. Yeah. And uh, And on that really, again, is there anything that you think we should look out for more in our friends? Is there anything that we can do to try and spot things more other than just asking people a couple of times if they're okay rather than once? You know, yeah. is, there, is there any sort of signs that you think are maybe missed sometimes? As I mean, as, as we know, and as I guess I'm a kind of a prime example of, it, it can be very difficult, if not impossible, to spot if somebody is really having a tough mm. time. So on, on that basis, I guess I would suggest with your closest friends, just check in every, every you know, couple <clears> of weeks, every month, whatever it is, just make sure, if in case you miss anything, have a check-in, just because why not? There's no downside to doing yeah. it. And you may have missed something or they may have not wanted to bring something up because you don't you know, bring down the mood with all these sort of rubbish reasons to not speak about it. So I would just, on that on that sort of basis, I would just just check in every now and again, just because. Yeah. But on that, I think that looking back on it, because I have sort of, I spent a lot of time, I've literally done a lot of time, there's nothing else to do but think, but I spent a lot of time thinking about sort of ways to spot. And I think the key thing that I've thought of is is just l- looking out for, for changes in, in people's personalities. Because the, thing is, the funny thing is with mental health is that it can manifest itself in so many different ways and it can cause so many different reactions in so many different ways depending on their personalities. And sometimes yeah. it can be exact opposites. Yeah. So like, if you think about it, that does one, and that makes it harder to spot. But into, let me just give some examples. It can affect one person one way. So, like, if somebody becomes who is generally used to be quite outgoing, and suddenly starts stops going to social, and some a bit more reclusive, that can be an, a sign or an indication that maybe there's you know a bit socially anxious, something's going on. But on the other end of the spectrum, it could be somebody that is used to go at like a reason, but then suddenly he's like the most drunk. He's going out all the time. He's going on a massive bender. And I've got you know examples <laughs> from both my friend, like friends of mine. Who fit into both those categories, yeah. and both of them are—they're quite op- they're complete opposite yeah. in terms of the way that they're reacted to it. But they're both suffering from mental health, and it can be the same thing. You know, it could be somebody who is, used to be quite 
tame somebody who has like a really short fuse and really angry, and then it can be somebody who suddenly loses all fight, and it can just completely be yeah. different in the way that people react. Makes it even harder, like you say, to spot. You know, yeah. But I guess that change, yeah. that dynamic shift in yeah. in that person's personality yeah. or how they're acting and their behaviours is probably the thing to look for yeah. then it's that change yeah so just look out for I think just looking out for change but yeah just check in regardless and you've spotted okay let's let's give a little example you've spotted someone at your friends who's changed recently and yeah. you think mm, that might be something going on you've alluded to it a little bit but how how would you go about approaching them what, is, what would be your ideal situation and how would you go about opening that conversation yeah I think that I mean this is something that I think a lot of people worry about because they're they're scared to breach the conversation, which I totally get. It's a scary conversation to have from both parties as well, not just the person who you're asking. But I, I guess the, my advice is: firstly, just don't don't over, don't overthink it. There's no such thing as a perfect way or a place, perfect place to ask. Yeah. The fact that you're asking is infinitely more important than the place in which you're asking. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. don't like, oh, I need to or wait for the perfect or time or like. You know, so it's not. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Ideally, but that you know. That being said, you obviously need to create an environment that would most likely elicit a positive and open and frank conversation so that that being said you need to do it in a in a place which that person feels as comfortable uh, as possible i would say yeah. because obviously this conversation is going to be as uncomfortable as they've probably ever had so maybe not a group conversation no, a group not chat, a group conversation not, you know not in a big not the pub in front of friends <laughs> which is pretty obvious no. but you know getting someone maybe on their own potentially yeah one on one or with a couple of their closest close friends, friends but again you Use your judgment. I'm sure you, you, the, the person doing the asking probably knows that person really well. So yeah. just use your judgment to be able to just do it. And I, I, as you said, tip advice, make sure it's a place you're unlikely to be interrupted and like to be overheard. So those are probably the two critical things because sure. that would most likely, I mean, for me, I would have never said anything out loud to anyone if I thought I'd be getting like anxious about being anxious, which is sort of the ultimate irony. Yeah. Um, and so I, the thought of other people knowing that I had this other side of me was like, cause me anxiety which is again fucking ridiculous but um so yeah i think just don't overthink it find somewhere quiet where they're comfortable and you're not gonna be interrupted you got some time to just properly hash it things out yeah no amazing you mentioned alcohol before so yeah. as long as you don't mind i i want to know a little bit more about what your relationship with alcohol was what it is you know and what is its potential effect on mental health mm-hmm yeah, I mean, alcohol is a funny old beast because I've had some of the, the best times in my life with my friends and my family drinking. But then, for sure, lots of my lowest points I've ever had have also been while drinking. So they can create such, you know, a, such a wide spectrum of, of feelings and emotions. So it's it's a tricky one, but I think it's it's very fair to say, and looking back and taking my time at university and sort of pre-going to therapy, that I had a, a fairly unhealthy relationship with alcohol. I mean, I definitely was not as much as sometimes it was joked, I was never an alcoholic. Yeah, you um, liked a beer. <laughs> yeah, I did like a beer, and things I still bloody do. But I think my relationship has changed because I think I used to use alcohol as some sort of numbing tool, as some sort of horrible form of, of escapism where I, I feel like I needed to drink rather than I wanted to drink. And I think that's a really big shift that has sort of happened in the last couple of years where like I would be, I'd have to drink by myself before I'd start 
go to pre's. So before pre's, I'd be preying by myself in my room, having a couple of beers before I'd even be able to go out to see. To help with the nerves, anxiety. Exactly, blah, blah, blah. And then, so by the time, I, you know, I, I was pre-preying before the pre's, which is then before the trebles got. By the time I obviously got out, <laughs> it's not a surprise that I was absolutely Especially out of my mind. Price of trebles. Especially the price of trebles <laughs> didn't help. Um, <laughs> and so it's not a bloody surprise that, I, I, and it kind of makes me sad because turning, you know, being blackout essentially became like, getting blackout drunk was basically became my aim rather than an unfortunate consequence. And sort of looking back, it kind of makes me a bit sad that that was something that I basically aimed for most, most evenings that I was out. Cause I was, you know, it's, like I said, it was such a good numbing tool. And I thought that it would, you know, help me, you know, deal with my anxiety and my depression, but you know, spoiler alert, it fucking didn't. <laughs> um, and it made it worse half the time. And so I had a, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And the fact that, you know, I've so many at times, the, probably the majority of my nighttime, you know, I don't even remember. It kind of makes me, on reflection, makes it a bit sad that that's the level, I guess, because I was basically just fucking abusing my body. Nobody needs to drink as much as I used to drink. Um, and the funny thing is, is that now I have a, a healthier relationship w- with alcohol. People haven't like picked up the fact that I'm like drinking less. I'm not going out less. I'm not necessarily drinking less, but I guess... The drinks that I have now, I, I want to have, and as a lot, you know, I, I very rarely black out. And if I do, it's not the end of the world because the funny thing is with like, if you black out, then you, you have like mind blanks. And then because, you know, when you're anxious, quite often if there's an unknown element, you will fill that with, you know, horrible situations. Everything is, this is something that everybody can relate to. The anxiety, when you can't remember anything, you start thinking, oh my God, something's gone bad. Something, you just assume the worst. Yeah, you think back to that conversation, you think, yeah. oh God, what the yeah, yeah. hell did I say? Yeah, exactly. And so that obviously makes things way worse. And so obviously nothing has got better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously now I don't have any fear of, you know, taking a single rather than a double, making sure I eat up. Obviously, do, everybody knows how to not get, like, too drunk. And now I have a much healthier relationship with alcohol. Nobody has noticed that I drink less, but I do. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's a, the amount of alcohol consumption and the, the way in which you drink is a symptom of your mental state mm-hmm. of the time. And you were clearly self-medicating with it in some way. Yeah. And now when you drink, you use it as the same that most people hopefully do in terms of a recreational thing yeah. that enhances a situation um, yeah. rather than, you know, some sort of, some sort of, you know, medicine. Yeah. And I've, I've thought, I've think I've thought about this when I've looked back over sort of my adulthood since, you know, we started drinking that the person who is the most drunk at the party or, at, you know, at the club, in my experience, has almost never been the happiest person there. Every single person, I think that, oh my God, that person was so fucked with there's that period of life where they used to drink a lot. They were always, always struggling with something. And it is, again, in terms of, if you're looking for another way to spot, that's a good way to spot. Yeah. Because when I've gone, looking back, there's been times where some of my friends, they've been going, like, absolutely getting way too fucked and that's just such a symptom of somebody who's clearly yeah, not yeah. happy. Because yeah. if you're unhappy, you don't need to do it. Yeah, I think when you when you, you fill a void in terms of your emotional state, don't you? And you, people do that with everything. That's what yeah. that's what addiction really is. Yeah. Um, using external stimuli to fill an internal void, which mm-hmm. I think is a really um, useful way to to think of addiction and and I guess substance abuse and alcohol as a substance. But yeah. the same can be said with food yeah. or you drugs. Know, cigarettes, drug drugs or anything like that. So yes, since you opened up on the podcast yourself last year, have you noticed? Any change within your friendship group? Um, you know, other people having more open discussions? I guess for you, there must have been a lot. But in terms of the wider friendship group, do you think things have improved? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I was 
very nervous, even though I'd had such positive reactions to people that I'd spoken to face to face about my mental health and the fact I was seeing a therapist and whatnot. I was still very nervous about what the reaction was going to be post podcast and how, you know, what, what people's thoughts going to be to what people start to me differently, etc. all those sort of old anxieties that I, I, I sort of used to have and still in some ways sort of do have, but, you know, much to a much, much lesser and more healthy extent. And it was, the reaction was so, so overwhelmingly positive. So I guess so for those people who are a bit worried about how, how people can react, that is such a perfect example of how, positively it will be receptive if, if you want to if you're feeling anxious about opening up the way that people reacted to my podcast is such a perfect re- reaction to show how positive people will be but also if if people had seen the amount of messages and the variety of people that had messaged me or have sp- have spoken to me saying i used to go to a counselor i used to go to a therapist i do go to a therapist or holy shit I think I'm, you know, I'm really struggling. I need to go, you know, who do you see? Like, honestly, if I had a fucking swipe up for my <laughs> therapy, like, hi guys, lots of you messaging me about, you know, where I get my therapy. If I had a swipe up, I'd be a rich man because yeah, yeah, yeah. so many people have obviously since asked me about it. Yeah, yeah. So I think... You should be on was, commission. Oh, I should be on commission. He owes me, he <laughs> Yeah. Um, so honestly, if people had, it was just so reflective of how widespread the issues, so it was kind of scary about how widespread the issue really was because it was an astounding amount of people that, that reached out to me. And that's just people who reached out to me. And I know there's been lots of people who, who wouldn't have. Yeah, so it's not even going to be the total amount. So I guess that was very poignant in sort of showing the extent of essentially the epidemic that we're in and half the reason that why you obviously, you're obviously aware of it more than, more than most people. But it, it, it's, it was kind of scary, to be honest. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of people's reaction, they, they were overwhelmingly positive and people were opened up to me a lot and also it was also funny well not funny haha but funny interesting (laughs) in terms of the different ways in which people opened up to me so obviously I had lots of messages from guys and girls so like obviously I you know I don't want to make mental health you know a guy's thing because it'd be quite a male thing to do to lay ownership to it in some (laughs) ridiculous way absolutely affects both sexes but I had so many guys come up to me sort of on nights out and be like I didn't want to speak to you, don't want to message you, don't want to be like, I don't want to be lame, I thought I'd be a pussy, don't want to be wet, but you know, I'm actually having a really tough time, I really resonated with your podcast. I even had people who like, messaged me when, when I wasn't with, when they were out, people messaged me when they were drunk, and they were like, sliding into my DMs, but drunk, be like, I'm really struggling, I wanted to message you, but I don't want to receive as like a pussy, I'm so sorry, this is embarrassing, and I'm like, that is so reflective of the issues at hand, the way that you're, you're in, you have to be half cut or full cut by the, by the start of some of the <laughs> messages. Spelling of the messages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like apologise. And then apologise and be like, I'm so embarrassed. I don't want to seem wet. That is so, so representative, representative of the issues around, of the stigma around particularly males showing vulnerability. Yeah. And that, it was, yeah. it, like, that's why I say it's funny. It was not funny. It was just interesting is as to how reflective that was. Yeah, the people's different responses, 100%. Yeah. And, and to touch on that, 100% it affects both sexes equally, but differently. Differently, And I yeah. think, the, obviously, the, the suicide rate, you know, at the final end of yeah. the spectrum of mental health is just, is terrible in both sexes, but particularly men. And, yeah. and I think one of the reasons why I even started this account to start talking about it is that we need to do something differently to allow men a get out before it gets to that point. Yeah. And that nature of 
being too proud to say anything or too scared or not having the resources around you or or the tools that we mentioned at the start to come and and open up, which is the thing that led to you changing Mm -hmm. your life. That needs to change somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously it's a complex matter. It is no simple magic bullet that's going to fix that. But the first step is talking about it, reaching out to people um, and, and raising awareness, you know, with weeks like Mental Health Awareness Week. That's, that's the first step yeah. among the many that need to be taken. Absolutely. I mean, it's just so, it's, I guess it's just very ingrained from, from a young age that you should internalise your, your emotions. Be a man. As a man, man up. Be a man, and man up and all, and, all, and all this stuff, which is obviously total rubbish. I mean, like, I, I, I was bullied by prep school and like didn't have a good time and you know, had some unfortunate times, you know, since, whatever. And my... My gut instinct, I didn't tell my parents, didn't tell my brother, didn't tell the school. My gut instinct was to just stiff up a lip, man up, don't show emotion, internalise it, don't let anybody, don't show any cracks in yeah. my exterior. And that was just the go-to. And this is when I was like eight or nine. So that it was it was ingrained in me from such a young age that that was going to exist. Obviously, by the time I got to university, that's obviously what I was going to do. And the same thing happened when you had the, didn't have a panic attack for two yeah. and you internalised that and said, yeah. oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Of course and, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, and I think that is what... That is definitely what happens for in the people that end up committing suicide most of the mm. time because, you know, more and more we're hearing about these cases because we have social media and we have so things like, like I mentioned earlier, Roman Kemp's documentary and that yeah. those people are people that get to the brink and, you know, unfortunately commit suicide without having told anyone that they're struggling because mm. they feel like they can't. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's that's something that we really need to change and, yeah. and, and fight towards. That's, yeah. that's, you know, that's the, really the first, yeah. first major step that we need to take, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier that you're an overthinker and that you've had panic attacks. Yeah. For anyone at home who's an overthinker or, or suffers with anxiety, panic attacks, have you got any sort of easy tricks, tips, anything that you can do, anything you've learned along the way that, that help that? Yeah, uh, it's such a tough one because um, it's just, it, they're all learned behaviours in the day that's learned unhealthy ha- mental health habits that you basically get into where you think particularly if you're an anxious person, you if there's any amount of unknown, you will fill it with, you will catastrophize it and make it as, seem like it could be the worst scenario possible is going to be the outcome. And it's basically through that you, you have this sort of, information filter which is so negatively skewed and you have in psychological terms i think it's called um confirmation bias that's it's confirmation bias and so we've got these preconceived conclusions about what 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 people's opinions are of you and what opinions are of yourself so that when you're sort of going through life and you obviously all this information people saying stuff to you seeing stuff you only sort of take in the information which resonates negatively and fits that negative perception that you've got of yourself. No matter how much of you know other information that's come through that doesn't fit, you'll ignore that because it doesn't fit with the picture that you have created in yourself. And yeah. that is something I guess that I struggled with for a while. And the way that I and and, and again, it's something that I still struggle with, but to a lesser extent. And so what I guess I've I've done is that if I see myself sort of chasing myself down a rabbit hole, I like there's a future event and I'm thinking, oh, what if this happens? What if this person said this? I reckon this person's thinking this. I take a, I take a step back and before I sort of like, t- I try to nip it in the bud and sort of, instead of chasing down the rabbit hole of creating all these sort of hypothetical situations where I'm always coming out worse, uh, I'll try to look at it through a more rational lens and be like, let's look at, try mm-hmm. to look at the, the bit of fact-based evidence here. Would that person do that? Would the person say that? 
let's look at some past experience. No, they haven't. Is this likely to happen? Probably not. Yeah. Let's let let's let's thanks thanks brain for producing this wonderful <laughs> thought. That's that's wonderful. But let's not put too much emphasis on, on it and, try, on and it. don't put the weight on it like I used to. And just stop because I still, I still again because I'm, I haven't you know I'm still learning thinking. I'm still I guess an inherently anxious person. I still catch myself doing it, but I stop myself in an earlier stage and I think. Is this likely to happen? Is this true? Yeah. Would that person do that? Probably not. And then and then switch the conversation around and change to something positive rather than constantly, you know, going down that spiral downhill sure. and negative. Trying to break that cycle of yeah. negative thoughts. And so it's not easy. Asking yourself the simple questions is, yeah. a, is a really good tip, yeah. I think. For anyone not familiar with confirmation bias, it's where everyone does it in in all circum in lots of circumstances as we as we move through life it's where you look for things that are happening around you to confirm the narrative that you believe mm-hmm. so looking for sort of events and things and saying oh no that fits with you know the way i think and you know that then leads into a bias where you where you block out anything else that, that yeah. contradicts that yeah, yeah and all the all the and it's generally overwhelming the, the if you look at all the all the information <laughs> the overwhelming evidence is that it, it's that's not that's not the case and that wouldn't yeah. happen or that person doesn't think that but that doesn't make a difference because that's that's not going to resonate with you because that doesn't fit with the way that yeah. that you that idea that you've already that conclusion exactly. is already drawn. The brain is a very funny thing. It's you a realize funny it has, old thing. It has trained pathways that you know you repeat over and over again, even if they don't benefit you. Yeah. And some and one of the reasons for that is because you have confirmation bias. You choose to ignore things that would disprove your current thought process because your brain wants to look at something completely maybe unrelated that backs that up yeah um and you've got to sometimes laugh laugh at the funny things that your brain can do i mean like as we said it's the it's the most complex complex thing in the universe it's the stuff that is the same brain that you can get us to the moon but it's all the same brain that can take someone to take their own lives so it's it's crazy what it can do <clears throat> but i think sometimes you just gotta laugh and i think i told the story on, on my last podcast and it's just a perfect example of how my brain used to work and i used to just sort of chase my own horrible ideas down rabbit holes. And a friend of mine who spends a lot of his time in his car because of his work, he, he used to call me uh, quite a lot and we'd have just general chit-chats about nothing in particular. And then one day he, he stopped calling um, and he didn't call me for a few days. And again, there's a small amount of unknown there. And if you're a super anxious person, you will fill that unknown with as much as you possibly can. So originally it would start with something small, be like, ah, oh, you know, may, maybe you know maybe he's you know annoyed maybe i've done something to him maybe i've annoyed him yeah. and it's like oh maybe he's got bored of speaking to me maybe we're, we're not as good of friends maybe none of my when maybe like and he's one of my closest friends it's like maybe none of my friends are actually close friends maybe i don't have any friends maybe everybody hates me and then holy shit i've got no friends fuck and that was literally just like from the smallest thing wow you just get spiral out of control out of control yeah. and to, to this horrible conclusion where I, I basically from this one tiny event i basically you know reaffirm the fact that i'm a loser i've got no friends and everyone hates me. And that was like completely insane. And the funny thing is, he and again, he probably at the time, I can't remember this, he was probably speaking to me, texting me, whatever, and things were normal. So that, inf- that but that information didn't fit with the narrative. So I was like, ignore that. I'm going to stick with my, my idea. Yeah, that it's that. unstuck. Isn't yeah, it? it's, exactly. not, it's not relevant. That's in one ear, out the other. Yeah. And the, the reason why he, he'd funny enough, he called me in a few days later in my head, I was like, and this left me in a sort of an anxious state throughout, you know, the whole week. And eventually called me, I was like, he's probably going to tell me how much he hates me. Brilliant. And the answer then is like, oh, I've just discovered talk sports, the best thing ever. <laughs> and I literally was just like, holy shit, how did I get myself down such a deep hole? But it, things that, because I was such a, I didn't, I didn't even completely dismiss it. I was like, oh, you know, it, just because it wasn't right this time, it's probably right the next time. So it's not like I completely dismissed the idea entirely, I just parked it to one side for the moment. But I remember I went to my therapist on, Monday, on, on the Monday after, and I was telling him the story. 
And then we both just started fucking laughing about how the ridiculousness of what I got into. And it was, it was probably one of the first times I'd ever properly laughed at my own sort of mental health issues. And I think that was like, su- it's such a good tool. It's such a powerful tool. Really empowering, it, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's so powerful. It shows you, you you're not entirely, entirely in control. It takes that sting, takes the fear out of it. it make, it's like a really, really good coping mechanism. Because like you said, your brain's a funny old thing. And it yeah. makes you do strange things. It puts you back in control, I think, yeah. in, in some ways, doesn't it? Of, of what your brain is doing when you when you realise the ridiculousness yeah. of, of what it is. And that's did. the thing, it's, it's an, when you're sort of, your mental health isn't, it's such an, your brain is just not thinking rationally at all. And once you start to, you can just sort of laugh eventually at the irrationality of it and think like, oh, I can't believe this is the conclusions yeah, that sure. I was drawing. Sure. Okay, for anyone perhaps maybe who is out there and they're listening to this and they are feeling not quite themselves, mm-hmm. you know, they might not have, they might not think they have depression, they just might not feel quite themselves, or yeah. they might just feel anxious. What is the one single bit of, best bit of advice that you could give to them? <laughs> Sorry to narrow it down. Uh, when I guess if, I was, if it was one, I, I'd honestly just, <clears throat> it, it sounds a bit corny, but like literally just have hope that there is better days to come. Like that they're always, no matter how big a hole you've dug for yourself, no matter how bad a place you think you're in, there is always, always where there's people who's had way worse mental health than me, who've managed to turn, you do you turn, 180 their life and have had long and healthy, happy lives. And there's loads and loads of stories of people doing that, you know, being taught to bridge and end up having lots of families and, you yeah. know, bloody, bloody, blah. Sure. So there's lots and lots, there's just have hope, have faith, have belief in yourself that better days are to come. That, that's it's simply amazing, really. I've got a Instagram post ready to go with a quote on it that I've been working on for the last couple of weeks that I've just <laughs> like, and I could honestly put your name under it now. You know, it, honestly, it, it, basically I talk about the law of impermanence so that things are never permanent. Those no. thoughts, feelings and emotions, they come and they go like sort of clouds in the sky is, mm. the, is the analogy that is always used and there are better days to come is pretty much the last line, which is yeah. what you just said. So that, you know, that's kind of weird, but amazing yeah. that you've, you've said that as the, as the main single bit of advice for anyone out there that's not feeling, yeah. feeling good about themselves. So there was one bit we mentioned just briefly uh, off air that you t- told me a little bit about seeing your therapist. So a couple of bits on that is, is seeing a ther- therapist the most important thing you did and can you just tell the listeners a little bit about the story you spoke about before in terms of coming to the same conclusions? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I, I don't think I'd be where I, I was, I am today. And when I'm talking about these stories, it literally feels like I'm talking about a different person. And in many ways, I, I literally am. So I, I don't think I'd be where I am today without having gone to see my therapist. He was absolutely amazing and has quite literally helped me transform my life so yes, I, I would say that's probably the single most life-changing thing I've done in my life full stop, I would say. The way that therapy works is that I, for a long time, I wasn't emotionally capable of, of basically dealing with life on, on my own. Uh, and that was evidence because I was had bad mental health. And so therefore, I had to, the whole one to get a therapist, they get them, uh, you to lean on them and use them to support you through, you know, through your life and you know, help you deal with your emotions and help you, you know, you know, you, you know, order your thoughts and, and, and have better mental health practices. But the whole point of them is for, for, of a therapist is to, to wean you off needing them. And so originally I used to, so for, I guess for, I think for about a year, I used to go every single week. Uh, and then after, you know, about 
nine, ten months, I was like, I'm feeling feeling much better. I feel like I've made loads of progress, but like I'm still think I'm getting, you know, good amount of gains every single week whenever I go. But then sort of after about a year, I, I kind of came to the conclusion, I was like, I actually don't think I need to see my therapist every single week. I'm going to probably ask him to maybe see him once every two weeks, once every three weeks. But, you know, I think I'm going to open the discussion to maybe, you know, lowering the amount of time that I see him because I don't think there's the necessity there anymore as it used to be. Yeah. And so we had our usual, you know, therapy session and it came to the end and he said, right, so I've been, I've been thinking and I think that it, it's, it's, I don't think you need to see me once a week anymore. And I was like, that is mental. I was about to say that. And I was like, you know what? That, firstly, I'm glad because it kind of shows me doing my job. But secondly, it, 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 happens, quite as, it happens quite often because they, they basically know you. It, it, the relationship you have with a therapist is, is so unique. And it's, you have to be so open and so clear and so transparent. And they basically get to say that they know you unlike anybody else. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the fact that he called called me out and he, he basically said, I want you to stop paying me as much money as you're doing earlier on shows that these guys, the I think the vast majority of these guys out there uh, are just trying to make people better. This yeah. is not them to fill their pocket. They're generally trying to make people better. And so I ended up, you know, instead of going once a week, I went oh, once every two weeks, once every three weeks, once every month. And eventually it got to the stage where I said, I don't think I, I think I can go out to the big, bad, scary world by myself. I don't need you anymore, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was called Mark. Um, and he was like, you know what? I've kind of been waiting the last two therapy sessions for you to say that, but I completely, if you didn't say it this time, I would have probably suggested the next time. I completely agree. It's time for you to go. And he, he gave me some really, I mean, it was that last therapy session was a really interesting one because there's lots of time I spent reflection, reflecting on sort of how far I'd come and looking back at some of the early stories and some of the early therapy mm. sessions that we had uh, are crazy. And so it obviously is like a very proud moment to see how, how, how far I'd come. But also he was, you know, some, he was just, you know, like just as an FYI, once your brain has sort of reached the level of vulnerability, but if you've gone to therapy, you're actually statistically more likely to end up going again. So just be mindful and continue like with good mental health practices in your day to day life. Uh, and, you know, but obviously, you know, best of luck with, with everything and, and touch wood. I haven't, I haven't been back since, but the thing is like now that I've been once, I would 100% go in because I ended, I honestly, I ended up buzzing to go. I used to love going, but yeah. the, the first times I used to go were really a bit uncomfortable, wasn't really sure what was going on. But by the end, I used to love it. So, like, mm. I'm totally open to, to do it again. I just personally don't feel the need, which is obviously good and shows that there's cases where people get better. Yeah, amazing. And I think when I've spoken to patients in the past about when they've saying that, that they're in low mood or depressed or anxious, I always say, you know, people do try medication and we haven't really touched on that. But medication often is a bit of a bridge yeah. to get you to a position in which you can then go and do something else like make a change in your life which could be therapy it could be opening to up to your friends it can be lots of different it can be meditation to then improve your mental health to a point you know that that makes a difference to your life mm -hmm. and I, th I think that going and speaking to someone is the most the most important change that someone can yeah. make and the most beneficial the that like you say the relationship you have with a therapist is is very special and people that do well with therapy are people that get on with their therapist that, yeah. that relationship has to be a good one where, yeah. where you feel completely comfortable and the therapist acts as a bridge to to work out 
your your broken relationships with yourself and the other people around you and he, he acts as sort of a of a mask and something maybe you probably found yourself yeah no a- a- absolutely like you said it's a very special relationship and so my advice is if you want to go don't necessarily because there's when I went to my therapist, I was very lucky that I found the right therapist first time. But I know lots of people who have tried therapy and it's like, well, it's not for me because they tried one therapist. That's not the way to go about it. Try If it, one didn't work, try, pro, just please just try a couple others because <clears throat> not, it's because it's such a unique relationship. You don't feel comfortable opening up with everyone. We just clicked from the set from the day one. And I know people that have gone to see my guy and it hasn't worked out. And yeah. that's not because he wasn't good, because he worked for me, and I know he's working for other people, but they didn't work for some people. Yeah. So and you just even around. Felt, you even felt uncomfortable at first. Oh, you, know, you, oh, got yeah, them, you felt uncomfortable, because yeah. it's an uncomfortable thing to do, and it's difficult to be that vulnerable. Yeah, God, that first, yeah, that first therapy session was, <laughs> it was a weird one. It was like five, ten minutes of lots of awkwardness, and then suddenly, like, walls came down, and I literally cried for, like, 50 minutes straight. I know, And it was like... I don't understand how he understood a word. I don't understand how he was taking it. He probably wasn't taking it. He was probably just scribbling, but listening to me just like telling random thoughts, like disconnected thoughts from all over yeah. my life and different thoughts that I've had and stuff. So You just obviously had an emotional dump and that's yeah. what you needed. And <laughs> yeah. he acted as that, you know, that yeah. trash can for it. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Literally. Yeah. Matt, honestly, what a conversation to have. The way you speak about mental health is inspiring. It's, 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 I think it really makes things clear for people and can help people that don't like you said earlier don't understand what their mental health is it puts things into you know a real perspective that people can understand and and that's what i'm going to hope to do in these podcasts is to get guests on that bring a great perspective and interesting knowledge that that people can take on board and something i want to ask everyone just one simple tip this could be anything you think that what is your best advice for someone who wants to improve their health and all their happiness? I mean, we, we bang on about it because there's lots of things that I do. I, know I meditate, I, I walk every day, I you know exercise, I get my good sleep. And all of these things are great tools that I use still today on a day-to-day basis. But nothing will beat just opening up and speaking to someone. Like it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason because it's fucking true. A problem shared is a problem halved. And this is something that I have experienced Many times, not just with me, but with everybody else around me. Speak, just, if you've got any worries, just speak to the people around you. It will be well received, well, well received, I promise that. And also, don't be surprised if they start opening up back to you. Because this is something that really shocked me as well. When people say you're not alone, you're really bloody not alone. (laughs) Because once you start showing showing vulnerability and opening up to other people, there's a likelihood is that they'll start opening up back to you. And actually... It builds much stronger, much healthier, much more open relationships, and that's something that, and that's you know, family with friends, in you know, love with loved ones, with everyone, it will build better relationships, and that's certainly something that that I have felt. So just get out there and speak to people. Amazing. So you heard it here first. <laughs> problem shared is a problem halved. <laughs> um, Matt, You're right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unreal to chat to you today. Thank yeah. you so much for spending um, the time to talk to talk to me. Um, and I'm sure that the listeners will will find what you said, com- you know, completely and utterly inspiring and beneficial. But honestly, yeah, thank you, thank you so much. Keep uh, keep doing what you're doing. Um, your content is there's a lot of dribble out there on social media, and yours is one of all on my page. <laughs> <laughs> and it's cool. Yeah, the straight <laughs> No, honestly, you're doing it like 
obviously your, your content is so much better than most of the jobs that's up there. And the fact that you're doing such, you know, good work on, on mental health uh, is obviously a, a cause that's close to my heart. So keep doing what you're doing. And obviously it goes without saying, my door is, is always open to anyone else that wants to, to speak to me about any of the, any further questions, let yeah. me know. Yeah, sure. So if you've sort of been interested or affected by anything we spoke about today, then you know, please, please feel free to message, message us and we'll, yeah. be, uh, we'll be happy to talk to you. So yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, man. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Straight Talking Doctor pod. I hope you not only found this episode interesting, but also hopefully learned something that you can use to help improve your life. If you enjoyed the podcast, or even if you didn't, I'd be so, so grateful if you could go onto your streaming site and leave a five-star review so that I can reach as many people as possible. Finally, if you have any feedback or suggestions for further guests, please get in touch with me at The Straight Talking Doctor on Instagram.